0: All righty, Psalm 132, hope you're there already. Um, I was thinking about bringing clickers, you know, like the the umpire uses, like when we're clowning, click, 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 uh, to pass out today, and we would have an experiment this week, to see how many times a day or in a week, either you or someone in your life starts a sentence with these words, hey. Hey. Don't forget to, or, Hey, don't let me forget, or, Please help me remember to, or, I hope I don't forget to, or, You know, I really need to remember. Memory is so important, and forgetting is so likely, that at some point in your life, remembering becomes a community project. It's the truth. It is the truth. It's like, ah, oh, no, I'm going to forget that. Let's remember this together. And it's like, who's reminding the reminder, right? Who helps the person forget, not forget? And right? it all that it works. It just gets more difficult. I was working on my memory verses this week and just thinking to myself, I remember, I don't ever remember this being easy, but I sure do remember it being a lot easier than it is now. You know, I have this method. It's just a great method. Anybody in this room could memorize a lot of scripture with my method. Just not as easily as I once could. Um, But there's one kind of forgetting that for me is the worst. And that's when you see someone and it hits you. One of two things, I've heard this person's name a thousand times and I can't remember their name, what's their name, what's their name? Help me quick, quick, what's their name, what's their name? That never happens to any of y'all, it happens to me occasionally. Um, the worst though is I see someone and I immediately remember there was something I was supposed to tell them or I was something I was supposed to do for them or I was supposed to call them or text them Even worse, like I was supposed to meet them and it was like the wrong day and I messed up. Ugh, I hate that. Because now someone else is involved in my forgetting. Um, It's one thing to forget. It's another thing to be forgotten. Um, Being forgotten is awful. And I hate being the forgetter. Um, I remember in New York City one time on one of our trips there, I actually ran into my college roommate in New York City, that's weird, um, in a park, and he had been ministering with a youth group to some homeless people, and he said, um, in this homeless shelter where they're doing work, um, and I can't remember the exact number, but he said a homeless man gave his testimony, and this man said he once went like seven or eight years without anyone ever saying his name. Can you imagine feeling that forgotten? That's just horrible. I can't imagine seven or eight years without ever hearing my name said. Which gets tricky because over and over and over again in the Bible, it has this word. Remember, Remember, last week we had Lord's Supper. God is so gracious. He gives us something we can taste and smell and see and touch. Do this in remembrance of me. Thanks for the reminder, God. Thanks for the reminder. Um, But can I tell you what's amazing? Is that God remembers. Like... It's one thing for me to forget something. It's one thing for you to forget something. What if God forgot? Like there's a lot more on the line with God forgetting stuff. Like I just look longer for my keys and I get frustrated or whatever. But he has the keys to the universe. Like (laughs) there's a lot more consequences there. And God doesn't forget. God never sees someone and says, quick. What was his name again? Never happens. Never happens. God doesn't even have to use sticky notes. Isn't that incredible? Imagine running the universe without sticky notes. How does he do it? Yeah. But that said, it's, it's fascinating to me. Even though we know God doesn't forget, how many times in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, we see someone praying and asking God to remember? Right? You see this in the Psalms. Remember your promise. Remember your word. Remember your people. Remember me. Because what the psalmist understood was not that God was forgetful and needed a reminder. But that when God remembers the person, he remembers the promise for that person. And I don't know if you've ever felt forgotten. I don't know if you've said this week, hey God, remember me? (laughs) It's me. Remember me down here. Today in Psalm 132, we have this prayer, this pilgrim psalm. And we find a prayer for God to remember a specific person. Because God made an amazing, long-range promise to this person. And if you think about the lifespan just of Psalm 132, what this psalm went through, and Maybe times when it seemed as if it was impossible that God had remembered this person or that God was going to fulfill his promise to this person, like, God, you've really backed yourself into a corner now. How are you ever going to keep your promise to this person? The prayer is for God to remember the person because if he remembers the person, surely he remembers the promise. And if he remembers this person and this promise... He remembers us too. We get connected to the psalm. Look at the first three words of Psalm 132. Lord, remember David. Lord, remember David. And it's not a question mark. Lord, remember David. I tell you. You remember David? I remember David. No, it's Lord, remember David. Which is interesting because last week's psalm was written... By David. (laughs) Hey, Lord, remember that guy who wrote that psalm right there. Remember David. Now, God didn't need to be reminded to remember David. I mean, how many hundreds of years has this psalm been around and David isn't around? Right? God doesn't need his memory jogged. Oh yeah, David. What was I doing? Yeah, no. To remember David is to remember what he promised David. Amazingly enough, the first half of this psalm isn't about what God promised David. The first half of this psalm is about about what David promised God. Remember... David and all of his self denial. Interesting word. Other translations. Remember, O Lord, David and all the hardships he endured. O Lord, for David's sake, remember his strenuous effort. Oh Lord, remember David and all of his affliction. And you're saying, wait a minute, there's a difference between being afflicted and laboring strenuously. But they do come together, right? The affliction that comes from denying yourself, the hardship. And it's kind of all comes together because David made a vow. Verse 3:23 and 4 and 5. He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the Mighty One of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. Like trying to close. He's like, nope, you're not gonna do it till I find a place for the Lord a dwelling for the Mighty One of Jacob. Now you're going. Wait just a minute. I'm not gonna fall asleep till I get this done. Seems a bit counterproductive. I work better when I've had a little sleep. What is he saying? He's the, you remember back in 2 Samuel, David says to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, and God's living in a tent. What in the world's going on here? So David says, Lord God Almighty of Israel, Lord Almighty God of Israel, I'm going to build you a house. Now, that's a whole story, right? God had to let David down easy. Thank you, David. Mighty admirable of you. But that's not what I brought you here for. God let David out of his vow. But word got around. It went back to David's hometown, Ephrathah. People out in the fields of Jaar or, or kirith Jerem. David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse. So when David made this vow, there's going to be a temple, it gets back to David's home out. Ooh, did you hear? There's a little buzz happening. And then, what's this other place? It's the place where the ark lived in this tabernacle. All these Years And you remember, there's this whole story that's a bunch of sermons when the people got all excited and they're going to move this ark and all this stuff up to Jerusalem. But the, the idea is, did you hear? The ark's getting a permanent place. It's not going to live in a tent anymore. But l- l- look at all of them. It says, the people said, let's go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. saying, Arise, Lord, come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. So descriptive. A footstool? God needs a footstool? Well, if you're a king and you have a throne, you have a footstool. What's he saying here, right? Does God need a resting place? God gets tired? No. It's the place where he made his glory dwell. So the ark being brought to its resting place. There's going to be a temple. David's made this vow. It's the symbol of his power and his might. You remember there was this little mess that happened with the Ark and all that stuff. But they brought it up, and David's dancing, and his wife's mad that he's you know the whole story, right? But for the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. Let him keep his vow. May we have priests doing priest things, and when the priests are doing their priest things in righteousness, the people are singing for joy. But there's this shift that happens verse 11, David made an oath to God. God made an oath to David. Verse 11, the Lord swore on oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. So David made a pretty rash, bold oath. God said, well, David, it's not going to happen, but I'm going to make an oath to you, and I'm going to keep it. And this was the oath. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. Isn't it amazing that the throne gets named after David? But there's an if at the beginning of verse 12, fairly large if. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. First Chronicles seventeen When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and one of your own sons, I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for me. Who's that? Solomon. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son and I will never take my love from him as I had to your predecessor and I will set him over on my house and my kingdom. Their kingship would be just as perpetual as their obedience. Have you read? Yeah, their obedience was not perpetual. Didn't even make it another generation until the whole thing is divided and it's a big mess. It was a big if, wasn't it? You said I made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your firm throne, throne firm through all generations." Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. Okay, what's happening here? God made a promise to David. One of his kids would be on his throne. You don't have to read very far in your Old Testament to realize that doesn't happen for very long. As a matter of fact, it goes horribly. Horribly. What happened? What happened? You keep going. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it. Check the word desire. He has desired it for his dwelling place, saying, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. Twice God says, because I want to. This is where I will dwell. This is where I will be enthroned. There's even a great little line in Psalm 68. Why gaze in envy, you rugged mountain, at the mountain where God chooses to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? As if every other mountain is looking around and goes, why does that mountain get God's dwelling place? And I'm just over here be in a regular, normal mountain, as if all the mountains envy God's mountain. I will bless her with abundant provisions, her poor I will satisfy with food, I will clothe her priest with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. So imagine a place where God's glory dwells, imagine a place where the integrity and faithfulness of the priest never are questioned, Imagine a place where the poor are taken care of. Imagine a place where everyone's needs are satisfied. Imagine a place where the saints will sing, not just when it's time to sing. Oh, it's singing time? Cool, let's sing together. No, apparently they'll just bust out in song all the time. Some of you are already thinking, I might be annoyed by that. No, you won't be annoyed. You're annoyed when people just bust out in song. Nope. As a matter of fact, God just might let you lead it. <laughs> Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one, and I will clothe his enemies with shame. But his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. An important part of salvation all throughout Scripture is that God will defeat the enemies of his people. But there's a horn for strength, a lamp for light for David. For David. God will remember David. He made a promise. What's going on? I mean, you've read Isaiah. You've read the prophets. (laughs) Let me just share three important ideas as we finish this. First of all, think about how this psalm would have changed over the years, hundreds of years, decades. Imagine, remember, this is a psalm of ascent. This is a psalm people would have repeated countless times on their way, on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to, to praise, to offer sacrifice in obedience to God Remember David. Imagine this psalm when tabernacle becomes temple. Can you imagine what this psalm must have been like at that point? But then imagine what this psalm was like later when Israel and Judah are divided and they start fighting each other. Imagine this psalm then your dwelling place, Lord, righteous priest. Remember David, remember David. Imagine when Babylon comes in and completely wipes out Jerusalem, wipes out the temple, and everyone is taken away to Babylon. If you flip over to Psalm 137, I keep going back to this. There's this this poem from Babylon where it says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. So they're off in captivity and they're just weeping. And they've, they've, it says, There on the poplars we hung our harps. It's like, We don't need this. Just hanging up my guitar, my harp. For there our captors asked us for song. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion kind of rude. Come on, guys, sing one of those happy songs about your hometown that we wiped out and brought you here. Place us a song on your harp. Verse 4, How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. Now imagine this psalm when you're in Babylon and you know the temple's not even there. Lord, remember David. That seems like an utter impossibility, does it not? How is there gonna be someone on David's throne when David's throne's not even there? And imagine those first groups of people that got to go back from Babylon. And they arrive and they're they're saying these Psalms on the way, and they get to this one. Lord, remember David, and they're imagining what the temple was and what it could be, but that it's not even there. And they arrive and they weep over the condition of this city. Remember David. Then you have all those centuries pass and you have Rome and her armies and they come in and they take over. You have no prophets proclaiming God's words. And then you have this temple rebuilt, made huge and beautiful, Herod, and you have people saying, remember David, and you have a promise. And then the angel Gabriel arrives to a young teenage girl in Nazareth named Mary, and it says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus And he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. (laughs) And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Think Mary had said this psalm before? Remember David? What? You're remembering David through me? As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus heals this demon possessed man who was deaf and mute. And it says, All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Oh, the son of David is a miracle worker, he's a man of power. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Son of David, a Canaanite woman? She's an outsider. What's going on here? The son of David's got demon possessed people around him, blind deaf and mute people around him, Canaanites around him. This is getting a little out of hand. He comes in that last week and the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted what? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. <laughs> son of David? This guy? No, not him. When the son of David comes he'll like us this guy doesn't like us and we don't like him. Can't be right. By the time we get our New Testament, by the time God's word comes down to us like this, you you open your New Testament, you flip the pages from Old to New Testament and the very first words you see, Matthew 1.1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God. God seems to have remembered David. (laughs) But remember that part of the promise, if they are faithful to my covenant. So I guess Jesus will sit on David's throne as long as he's faithful. We're not questioning that, I'm just saying. It's his, folks, it's his, (laughs) it's his. His throne will last as long as his faithfulness will and he will be faithful forever. So then when you flip over to the end, Revelation 22, you see this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. When the world is going crazy, there's still a throne with one of David's sons on it. And when you see everything made new, Okay, I've got to flip to the end and read this to you because this is good. Um, Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is among his people and he will dwell with them. There's the word from Psalm 132, God's dwelling. And what is going to happen They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost. From the spring of the water of life, those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be my God and they will be my children. So in the very end, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, and their names, his name will be on their forehead. It's just like Psalm 132. The people who traveled that road to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, they prayed, Lord, remember David. And the Lord said, oh, I'm going to remember David and I'm going to have a dwelling place and I'm going to have someone on that throne and the priest will be righteous and the hungry will be fed. If he had told them everything in Revelation 22, their brains would have exploded. They wouldn't have been able to handle it. Every thirsty person, something to drink. Every mourning person, tears wiped away. Even death itself, no more. Good gracious, could those people traveling by foot for days to Jerusalem have ever imagined what they would see when they prayed that simple prayer. Remember David. And God, if you remember the person, you will remember the promise attached to that person. God remembered the person attached to that promise. It's interesting though, by the time you get to Revelation 22, what's he called? He's called a lamb. Because the son of David died and the son of David rose again. So there's a cross on the way to this kingdom where sin and death are dealt with ultimately. And he conquers them both. Let's get to say this one more time. If God remembers David, God remembers you. Like this isn't some obscure guy on some obscure throne in some faraway city. This is a throne we all get to see in a city where we get to live he remembers David, he remembers us. As a matter of fact, he even puts his name on your forehead. I've got a bigger forehead than most, so I'm going to get a great big stamp. <laughs> right there. Wow. It's going to be good, y'all. So if you feel forgotten, if you feel like you're in a corner, if you're feeling like there's no way out of this, he's remembered David, so he's remembered you. And you get in on All of the universe is moving towards that throne where God, the faithful one, will reign. <laughs> you pray with me. Lord, thank you for where the story is and for where the story is going. You have not lost the plot. We lose the plot. You don't lose the plot. This is where the story is going. The story is going to the throne where a son of David rules. Lord, I pray that we would not just be, um, I pray that we would just be convinced of this. That we would be convinced that this is where the story's going. Because God, we, we get angry and we get frustrated when we look at the story as it is right now. and we wonder, where in the world is this going? It's going to you, Jesus. It's going to you. You can bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters in this room would know down to the core of their being that they are never forgotten. Never forgotten that you know our story too. And that our story is part of your story. And Lord, we live in a world with a million competing gods and a million competing stories. And we have a compelling, beautiful story. I pray, God, that that we would be able to share it in such a way that even the most hardened unbeliever would wish it were true. May we be the people of shining faces on our way to a new city, in a new heaven, a new earth. Jerusalem's coming to us, and there's a throne in Jerusalem. I pray that we would live hopefully faith-filled lives. I thank you, God, that tomorrow and the next day you will not forget us. We are remembered by God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Morning at Creekside Church in Spring, Texas. We're glad you joined us. For more information, please check out our website at www.mycreeksidechurch.org.